Welcome to Making the Lemonade with Abby Brown and Lottie Trick. A positive news podcast proving that when life gives you lemons, there's always an opportunity to make lemonade. So Abigail, how are you doing this week? Yeah, good. Good, been busy. Um, more rugby as usual. Um, but yeah, no, not too bad. How are you? I'm good, thank you very much. Um, my housemates and I have been keeping busy. We've reintroduced the um, we into our house. Oh, strong we fit. Yeah, yeah. We is we fit the one where you stand on something. Yeah, I don't know actually. I know, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> we got some sporty games, and then yesterday we cracked out Just Dance. So, oh, what a strong, strong <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I've forgotten that. Yeah, it's, it's very much my forte abs I was getting <laughs> high scores left right and centre obviously it's so. so natural <laughs> <laughs> I remember the one I think it must be the Wii Fit where you stand on it and you can ski oh yeah and you like go up and down of the jumps like, and stuff. shoot yourself off yeah, yeah. But you don't actually yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it's, but you don't actually obviously go anywhere <laughs> not yeah. actually sure what it's doing <laughs> and it tells you you get on it and it's like yeah your weight's obese and you're like how I'm 12 years old <laughs> we uh spent many do you remember many of the evenings we spent playing just dance i think there was some casualties i remember someone within one of our family slitting their trousers after they danced to the rasputin song which is actually quite athletic we did a lot of like yeah yeah, low and we definitely would have got a sweat on as well 100 percent we've been in a joggers and just yeah and um (laughs) What's the karaoke one called? Sing Star. Oh, we've had many of Just like a pill, pink. Oh, that's an absolute classic. Absolute classic. Maroon Five. You... She will be loved. Maroon classic. Five. I do. You know, I used to love Duran Duran. Hungry like a wolf. Oh, <laughs> yes, I do remember that. <laughs> oh, oh, Elton so John and um, D. Yes, doing a break in my heart. Yeah. It's a classic duet. You can't go wrong. You really can't. Do you need a PS2 for just um, sing star though? I think so. Yeah, I think it's a bit old school now. Maybe hey, we'll be bringing one of those back by uh, <laughs> next podcast episode. So yeah, it's been non-stop here. Pretty wild. Yeah. I also can't believe on Tuesday it was marked a year since the first lockdown. Oh yeah. How mad's that? Absolutely mad. I can't believe it's actually been a year. It somehow like, feels like it's gone extremely quickly, but also like it's been a yeah. hundred years. Yeah. What's the first thing you're gonna do when uh, everything's back to normal? I'd like to say go to the pub. Oh. Yeah. That's a good one. I don't really know what I fancy. Or actually, no, that's an absolute like going out for like a brunch or something. Oh, a nice coffee. Loves a brunch. Love. <sighs> God, I love it. You want a brunch? Yes. Because nobody wants breakfast at nine o'clock, so I don't yeah. wake up that early. Some people do, and then fine. well, some people do fine. And that's up to you guys, you know. And then lunch, that's pushing on like one o'clock, and I'm too hungry by then. But eleven, half ten, eleven, perfect time for a brunch. Look I know there's that. listeners out there that will agree with me, mostly because they're my friends who I go to brunch with, but. <laughs> I personally end up eating just more meals because I will still eat breakfast. Oh yeah, you have like a little snack before, yeah. <laughs> like a little Weetabix or something. <laughs> then brunch, and probably get home afternoon lunch. 
yeah yeah so you have something to about exactly yeah i'm okay with that though i'm not gonna lie but yeah fair play <laughs> Okay, so my first story um, celebrates all those meat-free people out there. Um, so bear with me, Abigail. Uh, the, the report. <laughs> I am going to try, to be fair, and have more vegetarian meals. I said this the other day. I think mm. I say this a lot, actually. But mm, I feel like I've heard that party it. line quite a few times. <laughs> I actually, sorry to interrupt, but fun story. Well, it's not really that fun, but. I was eating a sausage the other day and I was like, I definitely could be a vegetarian. And I was like, mid-mouthful. And I was like, maybe not. <laughs> anyway, to your vegetarian story. Go. <laughs> oh so a report, Food for Thought, The Protein Transformation, has estimated when meat consumption will start falling in Europe and North America. They believe this will be from 2025, thanks to the profusion of plant-based, protein-rich alternatives. The report said the shift to plant-based meat and eggs could save more than one gigaton of CO2e by 2035. So that's akin to Japan going carbon neutral for a year. Its author claimed the switch would also save 39 billion cubic metres of water over the same period, enough to supply London for four decades. So a lot of people still don't quite see the link between meat production um, and the environment, but just to give some context, total emissions from global livestock is 7.1 gigatons of CO2 um, equivalent per year, representing 14.5% of all anthropogenic greenhouse gas emissions. So significant. Benjamin Monarch, MD of Boston Consulting Group, which published a report, said alternative proteins could soon match animal protein in taste, texture and price. We expect parity to spur a new wave of growth. Catapulting what is a fairly nascent market today into the mainstream, yielding significant environmental benefits. Um, so that's why well, I, I will take umbrage with that quote, because it says soon match animal protein in taste and texture for a lot of people someone like my sister as you know really does not like anything that replicates eating animals so for some people that might yeah. be problematic however there is like a huge amount of growth in the availability of vegan alternatives and recipes and restaurants um that are providing more vegetable based food as well as protein so yeah. all in all it's all all good steps. What percentage of people do you think are meat-free in the UK, Abby? I reckon it's probably got more recently. I reckon at least 40%. Mm, that's optimistic. 22.85% <laughs> of the population is meat-free, which is still, still significant, nearly a quarter. Yeah. Um, maybe because I know a lot of vegetarians, maybe that's why I'm like, maybe it's more. <laughs> Yeah, you actually are surrounded by a lot of uh, meat-free <laughs> family, folk, aren't you? So, <laughs> you yes. Yeah, it is an interesting one. And also there is a lot of, um, a lot more options out there now than, and you see it more often, um, to have that choice. The shift to meat-free diets is a fantastic win for the environment. And definitely, I think probably something we're going to see increase, um, as the realization of the impact of it becomes more apparent so yeah maybe that will mean more vegan alternatives you know left right center which i'm all for 
<laughs> you're all for it. To be fair, I although yes, I do still eat meat. I only eat British meat, so it hasn't come from far afield. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> That's quite good. That was quite good. So my first story is actually about a horse doctor. I don't oh. know if you've seen it. Um and a horse called Peyo. Or Peyo. Sorry, it's a horse doctor normally known as a vet. Or are they specifically called No no no, sorry, this is an actual horse. Oh, <laughs> Stay with me, lot. Stay with me, right? Now, this horse, Peo, is a former dressage horse and has been going into hospitals to bring comfort to adults and children who are being treated for cancer. It is said that Peo appears to have an understanding of human suffering. So, this beautiful horse lowers his little neck into patients so they can stroke him. Um, there's also lots of photos of children sitting on his back in the hospital and also stands quietly in the hospital corridors. Um, I think the owner and stuff obviously clean him and stuff, make sure he's not got anything on him to protect him and obviously the patients. Mm-hmm. Um, there has been reports that Peo's comforting present is so calming and reassuring that those suffering in pain need less medication, mm. which is quite amazing what an impact animals can have. I mean, the affection we get off them, it's just great, isn't it? Amazing. Right. So what countries is happening? I can't say happening in the UK France. due to health and safety. Yeah. Uh, yes. It's a France thing, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Uh, in Calais. So yeah, um, his owner, Hassan Buchako, huh, probably said that one wrong, um, said he's always searched for human contact after competing and would pick out certain people in the crowd and want to stay close to them. So Hassan consulted veterinarians who concluded that Peo's brain functioned in an extraordinary way although the article doesn't say how it actually functions and I did try and do some searching and it just says it's an extraordinary way and I was like okay fine we'll go with that okay um but since 2016 uh they have supported around a thousand people until their last breath in the various services in which they operate and Hassan says Peo is my other half he is my life partner he is everything to me and there's a lovely photo reel online with so many different photos. Um, and there's one where this woman's holding her son um, and Peo's like nuzzling into them both. Mm. Um, and again, the owner says, with Peo, we try to recreate life at the end of life in order to fight and create an energy to accompany families and caregivers, um, which is just lovely. Um, yeah, it's lovely. Yeah. And they also work with Les Sabots de Cure, which... Sorry, you laughed after my French accent last episode. <laughs> Lisa, I tried. Lisa, but du Kier. Perhaps that sounds a bit better. So, <laughs> but anyway, which these are an organisation um, devoted to therapy, and the, like with scientists who are then studying Peyo's ability to reduce patients' anxiety and comfort for people in pain. So. There's also like a bit of a scientific experiment, I think, going on and kind of, is that just the only horse available or not? That's, mm. question. That's fascinating. Yeah. That really is fascinating. Yeah. And horses are an interesting one because I think for some people, they can be quite scary. Um, but for others who like horses, it's fantastic. But yeah, it's, um, it's really interesting that it seems to have had such a positive effect. And I mean, I'm a ter- little bit scared of them, especially when they're really big, but... This one does look like a nice one. 
There you go. Got to pick the, got to pick the good ones. <laughs> okay, so I think you might have heard this story, Abby, but it is great news for our friends over in Spain as a trial for a four-day working week gets the green light. According to The Guardian, earlier this year, the small left-wing Spanish party, Mas País, announced that the government had accepted its proposal to test out the idea. Talks have since been held, with the next meeting expected to take place in the coming weeks. So Inigo Erejón of Mas País said on Twitter, with the four-day working week, we're launching it into the real debate of our times. From New Zealand to Germany, the idea has been steadily gaining ground, hailed by its proponents as a means to increase productivity, improve the mental health of its workers and fight climate change, which has gained even more significance as the pandemic sharpens issues around well-being, burnout and work-life balance. So while the exact details of the pilot are yet to be decided, um, the party has proposed a three-year, 50 million euro project that would allow companies to trial reduced hours with minimal risk. Another representative of the party estimated that the pilot could get underway by as early as autumn, ushering in the first national initiative to reduce working hours since France began moving towards capping the working week at 35 hours in 1998. He said Spain will be the first country to undertake a trial of this magnitude. A pilot project like this hasn't been undertaken anywhere in the world. So, could we see this on our sort of fair island? Well, according to the Daily Express, in December, think tank Autonomy published a report which showed a four-day working week would be affordable for most companies with more than 50 workers. Um, The report said the majority of 50,000 firms studied would be able to cope with the change through higher productivity or by raising prices. The think tank said the government should investigate ways of rolling out a four-day week, starting with the public sector. Will Strange, director of research at Autonomy, said, for the large majority of firms, reducing working hours is an entirely realistic goal for the near future. Any policy push will have to be carefully designed and different strategies would need to be deployed for different industries. However, what is remarkable is that if it happened overnight with no planning, most firms would still remain profitable. A four day week is picking up momentum across the world post COVID-19 and we're calling on the government to be investigating the best options to roll it out. So between, I mean, doesn't look like that's something that's going to happen here. I mean, for quite a while. It could while. be great though. I mean, I do think it'd be great. I mean, granted, I'm not a nine to five kind of girl anyway, but for like you, that mm-hmm. would just be the cherry on the cake, you Wouldn't know? It? I mean, if we didn't need any more reasons to move to Spain between the sangria, the paella and the climate, um, this might... That's just ticked another box. <laughs> That's just ticked another box, exactly. I'm not surprised Spain's the first one though, because they take siestas every day, you know? It's yeah, in some cases, for sure. They work very hard, 100%. Not doubting that. But they also take their siestas. Yeah, we're going to take another day. I love it. I love the attitude. For sure. I think that's also to do with the, um, the heat. Yeah, that's true. Having worked in central Spain, it gets to a point in the afternoon where it's sort of, you can't go outside. Um, you, need, you need a break. You have, to, you have to be inside and kind of... Uh, Batten down the hatches a little bit just to see if we can get some sleep. But absolutely, there's hopefully a focus on work. What day balance. would you take? Oh, Friday, hundred percent. 
Mm. I don't know if I'd take a Monday because I feel like everyone would take a Friday. Do you know what I mean? So then you're. I do so know what you mean, but then don't you think that you would spend the whole week being like Monday? Oh no, it's Tuesday. Oh, it's Wednesday. Oh no, it's Wednesday. You know, and then it throws you. But then the weekend would arrive quicker. But yeah. yeah, I don't know. Thursday, but like, oh, it's actually- I quite liked when we were in the um, England lot with the Sevens program. We did Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday was recovery day, and Thursday, Friday. That was quite nice. Mm. Then you just went for two days at a time, break two days, break for two days. Sure, does mean well. I guess because you were meant to be, you were meant to be actually breaking. If it was more yeah, like a complete true. day off, you could. If it's three-day weekend then you can plan stuff you can go away and things like that that's true yeah have a little mini holiday well quite so did you know that denmark is the second happiest country in the world and i think i also read somewhere that finland was the first but i might have just made that bit up i think it is you read that too yeah okay Mm -hmm. fine um but i actually had a little little google because i thought how do they know that (laughs) <laughs> how do they know that that's the happiest country in the world so they actually do a report every year and our citizens of different countries how happy they perceive their happiness to be so the first time in 2020 they ranked cities by their well-being and dig deeper into the social urban and natural environments combined to affect our happiness and obviously see who rate what who rates what their happiness at the highest level after that mm-hmm. so just a little fun fact for you there mm. um but in Copenhagen, a museum has opened and it is called the Happiness Museum. You might have seen mm. online um, on their website. It says their mission is our hope is that guests will leave a little wiser, a little happier and a little more motivated to make the world a better place. Um, and their why for doing this. We all seem to be looking for happiness, but perhaps we're looking in the wrong places. We've gotten richer as societies, but often fail to become happier. Therefore, the Happiness Research, in- Research Institute decided to create a museum where we can all bring happiness to life. So, lovely. A museum dedicated just to be happy. Um, That's amazing. Did a bit more research into it. Um, and the museum features eight rooms dedicated to different theories on the nature of happiness. In one display, guests are asked to choose between an experience machine that provides users with infinite, albeit illusory, pleasure and the real world which involves pain and suffering other exhibits include a room of maps identifying the world's happiest and unhappiest countries a happiness lab and an overview of history of happiness and an exploration of why denmark and other nordic countries consistently rank among the world's happiest so lovely loads of different rooms and you'll learn obviously hell of a lot um meek winging the CEO of the Happiness Research Institute told the BBC News Round, we might be Danish or Mexican or American or Chinese, but we are first and foremost people. It's, a simp- it's the same thing that drives happiness no matter where we're from. And I hope that people will see that in the exhibition. And I found a little quote on the museum at, museum's website. So, to enjoy happiness is the good, but to have the possibility to give its good to other people is the greatest good. And that is said by Francis Bacon. Oh, that's lovely. That's nice, isn't it? Um, I have two questions. Okay. Firstly, do we know what um, makes those countries so high scoring in the happiness ranks? Is there any themes? 
And where does the UK rank? Oh, that's a really good question. You must Google it now. Yeah. I don't know, but I think I read something about Sweden being really happy once as well. And I think they've got a good work-life balance. You know how we talk about the work-life balance vibe? Yeah, I think we just did, yeah. Yeah, so I think they've got that going on. Sure. And they're just like happy people, aren't they? I think, you know, like Amsterdam, they cycle more. I appreciate Amsterdam's not that kind of place, but... Amsterdam you know. is not, isn't it, Sweden? <laughs> No, I know. <laughs> no, I just went to Sweden. I went to Amsterdam about the cycling, but I did okay. actually read somewhere that they cycle more and they are outdoors more and it's more a different way of living, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, we can definitely do some more research to that. And guess, where do you think UK stands? It's higher than I thought it was going to be, but... <laughs> 40. Oh, was 34th. Mm. which uh, higher than i thought to be fair i mean 34 is still pretty crap but could yeah, be worse i can't imagine this it could be worse it could be, it could be a hell of a lot worse and it's not <laughs> so we're gonna take it <laughs> we're gonna take the 34 place. so i don't know where new zealand would rank on that happiness scale i'm gonna suggest probably uh closer to number one and that mainly could be because of Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern. Um, not only has she ensured that New Zealand currently has no COVID cases, admittedly their population is only um, 5 million and ours is obviously 60 million, so may not be that comparable, but she did handle the situation exceptionally well. Um, and I think there was only about 26 deaths um, from COVID within the whole country. That's mad. So she's at it again. Um, And she has now passed a legislation giving mothers and their partners the right to paid leave following a miscarriage or stillbirth, becoming only the second country in the world to do so. The bereavement allowance passed unanimously in Parliament late Wednesday gives employees three days leave when a pregnancy ends. Labour Party MP Ginny Anderson, who initiated the bill, said... The passing of the bill shows that once again, New Zealand is leading the way for progressive and compassionate legislation, becoming only the second country in the world to provide leave for miscarriage and stillbirth. The bill will give women and their partners some time to come to terms with their loss without having to tap into sick leave, because their grief is not a sickness, it's a loss, and loss takes time. So the leave provisions apply to mothers, their partners, as well as parents planning to have a child through adoption or surrogacy. So um, obviously an exceptionally painful event to happen, but this is positive that it's being recognised and acknowledged as an experience which needs time to cover and reflect and deal with the grief, um, the Absolutely. you know immense grief that can come from this kind of loss. So yeah, just um, a, a positive step to see this legislation being passed. Absolutely. She's at it again. And I think it's definitely paving the way for other countries and other nations to, to look at and kind of go, actually, we need to probably reassess what we're doing and definitely support people that are going through something that's actually quite traumatic as well. So, mm-hmm. 100%, very good story. So, it was a big week for women in football uh, as there was a massive deal secured uh, to help boost financially and exposure to kind of the sport um with the women's super league which is basically the exactly the same as the men's premier league 
um, have finalised a shared broadcast deal with the BBC and Sky Sports, which would mm. be worth more than seven million a year. Wow. Which is huge. Um, is that up to 18 Super League fixtures will be shown live on BBC One and BBC Two and obviously bringing Women's Football League to three channels for the very first time. Again, I keep saying huge, but it is huge for women in sport just to kind of to see it. It's a three-year deal. And like I said, if you can't see it, how will anyone ever appreciate what they do and kind of the athletes that they are? Um, I think I saw, um, oh, she called the American pink hair. She was in mm-hmm. Joe, she was in the White House and she did a, ma- a really good speech earlier this week and kind of just on equality and kind of just allowing herself to kind of speak freely of what actually they go through and kind of what women in sport do go through. Um, and I mean, reading some of the comments, it wasn't exactly nice, but um, for her to stand up and say that I thought was, was huge and kind of, so yeah, she's definitely an incredible athlete as well. Um, and I think it's so important for young girls to be able to see this and see women and aspire to be like them. Um, because if you can't see it, like how do you expect people to be it? Mm-hmm. Again, another little quote for you there. Like, <laughs> um, was it Megan, Megan Rapinoe? Yeah. Yes. Catherine Swarbrick, the FA's Director of Commercial and Marketing, says this is a watershed moment. It's a step changed in the value of women's football, bringing in more revenue than any other women's domestic league in the world, plus an incredible step forward in terms of the unprecedented level of exposure. The partnership across those two broadcasters is the ultimate combination. So huge, really good. Um, and then the w- little shout out, but the Women's Six Nations also starts this weekend. Uh, and that's been shown on BBC iPlayer. Uh, not quite on the BBC yet, but it's, it is on BBC as well, you know. So mm-hmm. it's definitely going in the right direction. And I'm probably very biased because I'm in and around that world. But people want to know about it. People want to hear about it. And actually there is a massive like steam train ahead with with women's sport right now. So, um, which is really cool and definitely the way it needs to go. Absolutely. These channels need to be paving the uh, way to be showing representation. We need to be inspiring girls and women and it, and it's about times 2021 and this shouldn't be such a watershed moment. This shouldn't be, you know this you know it's it's amazing but it's it's sad it's sad that this is you know such a huge moment for women's sport and i hope so so strongly that uh that we see more of this because it's about bloody time so according to the bbc Cars in Shetland can now be fueled purely by the power of the sea in what is believed to be the first for the uk Nova Innovation's tidal turbines have been powering local homes and businesses for more than five years. The company has now created an electric vehicle charge point on the island of Yell, where drivers can fill up using tidal energy. Nova Innovation Chief Executive Officer Simon Forrest said, We now have the reality of tidal-powered cars, which demonstrates the huge steps forward we are making in tackling the climate emergency and achieving net zero by working in harmony with our natural environment. I had never heard of this, um, being as in tidal-powered charging cars. Obviously, I'd heard of tidal power, but I did look up how it works, just in case we needed a refresher of the science. Because, you know, I like I did to look that up. Um, so in simple terms, <laughs> a 
is all energy works <laughs> via a turbine. Um, so the same way that kind of a wind turbine works with blades rotating 12 to 18 times a minute, depending on the tide strength, the turbine that is connected to a gearbox that turns a generator creating electricity. So the waves cause the turbine to spin, which essentially creates the electricity. Um, this news comes in the same week that renewables are outperforming fossil fuels financially in a big way. So a report published by Imperial College Business School revealed that renewable energy investments have seen 364% greater return than fossil fuels since 2010. Dr. Charles Donovan from Imperial said, all over the world, renewable power has outperformed fossil fuels. It's been the same story for more than a decade, yet total investment is still lagging. National regulators, particularly in the US, must get to work on the reforms needed to level the playing field for clean energy investors. Nice. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something else. <laughs> that is really nice, though. <laughs> the look of surprise. <laughs> yeah, admittedly, there should have probably been a concluding <laughs> sentence. But that is, so Tidal Energy working in the UK, fabulous. Yeah, that's great news. And renewables outperforming fossil fuels financially, again, yeah. oh, what a win. Another, you got two stories in one there. Yeah, did Not you good. like when I did that? <laughs> yeah, I did, it's, uh, it's nice. <laughs> so you kind of have to watch the video with this story for it to really resonate because um it is very heartwarming as you enjoy abigail so most recent figures show that more than 29 million people in the uk have received at least one dose um, of the covid vaccine and many have received the second which is incredible news um, vaccines are slowly being disseminated across the world including in the us where 89 year old new yorker bob holzman received his dose he hopes that the vaccine will help get his favourite activity, dancing, back on track. He has danced for over 50 years and loves everything from the samba to the waltz, and he has never missed the Lincoln Centre's Midsummer Night Swing and has been a fixture in dance parties at Manhattan's Bryan Park and other places with dance floors around the Big Apple. But when the pandemic struck in March 2020, Holzman found himself stuck at home, happily occupied reading electronic books on loan from the New York Public Library, on a variety of topics such as politics, science and art, and playing Scrabble online with friends. In an interview with ABC, he said, I consider myself lucky and fortunate that I'm able to dance and jump around and take my shopping cart and do everything else. Seniors, people my age, seem to be doing much better with the reality of COVID than people who are quite a bit younger. And my own guess has to do with the fact that when you're a senior, you have resources and the experience to be able to deal with almost any problem. So the video shows him, um, I think he's in Bryant Park, I think, and he's kind of like dancing around and he um, is just so excited to get back to the dance scene, so which he cute. just loves. So I'll, sh I'll send you a video because um, yeah, he's a force to be reckoned with and he seems thrilled to have his vaccine. It's when people are so happy and they're like dancing and doing what, it, what they love, like that just melts my heart. Mm -hmm. he yeah, needs he needs video. just dance to keep him <laughs> he's just <laughs> maybe we should send him a wee bit just dance 
Here's what you could do. This will keep you going. Put your books away and get on the Just Dance. <laughs> so that's it for episode six. My goodness. May I add, episode six. We hope that you have enjoyed all our stories. I know we sure, surely have had a little giggle this week. Yeah, episode six. Uh, I can't believe it. Maybe, Abby, one day we will record in the same location. I mean, that nice. is what, you know, dreams are made of. That could go on for hours and hours, they couldn't it? But that might yeah. not be a, like a, <laughs> a bumper episode. Bumper, a three-hour bumper episode <laughs> of us just talking. Um, if you want to find out any more about stories as always they will be in the show notes just hyperlinked you can click through and find out more or watch any of the videos look at the images that we talked about today Um, so until next time see you later bye